Ladies and gentlemen, This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And we have a huge show planned for today. We are previewing the 2021 Arizona Wildcats football season, of course. That involves a season opener against BYU. We're going to talk to Nick Lee from VanquishTheFoe.com about that. We're also going to talk to our good friend Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star to give us a really good look at the Arizona football team as they head into the first game of the Jetfish era. I guess, Brett, before we get to Mr. Lev, or Lev as he is often called by people, Arizona did have a big announcement, Jed Fish, this past week, named the starting quarterbacks. Well, no. There's only one starting quarterback. It's going to be Gunnar Cruz. He's going to take the first snap. But Will Plummer's also set to play in the season opener. I, I remember you brought this up a couple of shows back. What if they just do that? And I'm like, oh, I don't like that idea. I still don't like the idea, but more because of what it says about the quarterback competition than because I don't think it could actually, you know, I don't think it's going to be like, Great. Like, it's it's whatever in that regard. But just I wish one of those guys took charge and was the guy. I think that's right. I think the reason why a multi-quarterback system generally is hard to achieve is largely the leadership aspect of it. And I'm just not sure with <laughs> the relatively low expectations for this Arizona Wildcats team and the general uncertainty that it's going to be as much of an impact, at least early on um, for, for, for this roster in terms of that, like who's the leader in the clubhouse thing. And it seems like both guys are generally well liked. They have kind of different skill sets. I mean, they're both from the Gilbert area. Uh, they're, you know, they're, I think they're roommates. Like it's mm-hmm. not exactly a, it's not exactly a cutthroat, uh, you know, pos- position battle from what I best we can tell. But I, you know, every week that the, they did not name a starter, uh, you know, that was a bad sign. <laughs> I don't think it was a good sign for um, anybody separating themselves. So I get it. I'm. My expectation is that both will play according to some plan. And I think Jed Fish himself is dying for somebody to just look considerably better to make that decision. You kind of feel like if Gunnar Cruz comes out, first drive of the game, leads him down the field for a touchdown, he's staying in. Because the reason he's getting the first snap is because he's the leader. Like He's 1A to Will Plummer's 1B is what it would seem like. So if he comes out and just plays well, there's no reason to put him on the bench and go with Will Plummer. Like That's what you want. And in a perfect world, this is like a Matt Scott, Nick Foles situation where – the lights come on, put them in the game, and just, wow, you're really good. You know, like, that's what you're hoping for here. You're hoping for, because we, and we saw Will Plummer last year, but it was also in a disaster of a season with a coaching staff that obviously, probably, well, I won't say obviously, but probably wasn't the best. He was a true freshman. The offensive line was bad. You can't really hold 2020 against Will Plummer. You know, what we saw from him in his one start last season and other appearances in games, whereas Gunnar Cruz, we've never seen. He had mop up duty for Washington State in a game against USC. But that's what you're hoping for. Um, in terms of like the two quarterback systems, like when they work long term, it's usually because the quarterbacks have different skill sets. You know, like one is more of a runner, one is more of an accurate passer. And like in theory, that's what they were going for a couple of years ago, and it was Grant Cannell and Khalil Tate, 
only the coaching staff wasn't good enough to maximize what they had there. And you also had a senior in Khalil Tate. And, you know, it was not quite the same. But in theory, that could have worked if it was managed properly. But it's hard to manage that. It's hard to manage that effectively. And that's where, I, I mean, Jetfish said he doesn't want this to be the case all season long. He, I like this guy. He's like, I couldn't tell either one of them why I went with the other guy. Other than just like, well, that's what my decision was. Like, I get that. I respect that. But you know he won. He said it. He doesn't expect it to be a long-term thing that someone needs to take charge and be the quarterback. Now, hopefully it's one of them playing really well as opposed to one of them playing okay and the other one playing absolutely awful. Like, you hope that's the kind of separation we see, but it's just they weren't. They didn't get it during the preseason. They didn't get it in camp, so they're going to at least take it in the first game. Yeah, I, ironically, if you kind of read between the lines and the feedback from what you're seeing from scrimmages and practices, I think Jed Fish wishes Will Plummer had a little bit more Gunner Cruz in him and Gunner Cruz had a little bit more Will Plummer in him just because they, they you know, Gunner Cruz seems to be the guy they want to have a little more killer instinct and a little more willingness to, you know, to, to take a few risks or make quicker decisions. And Will Plummer, they kind of want to rein in. He's probably the guy you're most likely to win with and the guy you're most likely to lose with. And Gunnar Cruz is the guy you're least likely to lose with based on mistake making. Which, and how do you if, make that decision? If the defense <laughs> is better than anticipated, the guy you won't lose with might be the right choice. And we're going to talk to Michael right. Love about all this in a little bit. He's been at practice all the time. I think he had perfect attendance, which means he might be eligible for a haircut. We could talk to him about, we could ask him about that. But like that's without knowing like if Arizona's defense comes out and is really good and not only anyone should expect them to be really good, but they should be better. But if, if the defense is going to keep them in the game, then you want the quarterback who's not going to lose you the game. You know, you want to come down to one drive to have just, you know, one score game. You have the ball, see if you can make it happen. But Will Plummer, obviously the offensive line isn't as good. The offensive line doesn't take a step forward from last season. Maybe you need that gunslinger mentality when your defense is giving up still 30 points a game. But if they're giving up 20, 24, maybe you go with the safe choice. And that's what, they have to figure out. I'm glad it's not my decision to make, but I, I agree. I think that's kind of what they're hoping for. Like in a perfect world, Gunnar Cruz goes out there and just lights it up, you know, makes a decision easy. Like you want one of these quarterbacks to make it easy on uh, Jed Fish to make that decision. So we'll see. It's game one, and Arizona doesn't have a full-time starting quarterback, but hopefully they'll have one shortly thereafter. But, Brett, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to our good friend Michael Lev, the Arizona Daily Star. He's been out at practices. He has as good a read on this team as anybody, and it'll be a joy to hear his thoughts. But yeah, that's after the break. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0, and we are happy to be joined by Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star, one of our favorite guests and seems like a pretty good guest to have as Arizona football season is about to kick off. The September 4th season opener is a little more than a week away now. We're recording on Thursday, the 26th. But, Michael, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm sure camp was just a blast for you. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, it was cool to be able to actually watch practice every single day. You know, you learn a lot. Um, I, I, I feel a lot more informed, a lot more educated uh, about what this Wildcat team might look like. Of course, you never know until they play the actual games, like how they compare to other teams. But, you know, I was able to kind of size up a lot of personnel, um, sort of what these schemes are going to look like. And, I mean, I can tell you it's going to be a lot different than what we're used to from the last two regimes on both sides of the ball. That was going to be kind of my thought, my question, I guess my first question, is that from what you could tell from this camp compared to, I guess, what you maybe couldn't see the last couple, 
just how different is this team going into the season, you know, compared to even, I guess, maybe last year or the year before? Well, I mean, very different defensively. Um, I mean, they've totally uh, refurbished the linebacking core. You know, almost everybody is new. Uh, you know, I think at least one of the safeties will be new, maybe maybe two of them, depending on which guys they end up starting at those positions. Isaiah Rutherford, the cornerback from Notre Dame, he wasn't here uh, a year ago. Mo Diallo, he wasn't here. Um, the the <clears throat> The scheme is... You know they played a they pretty pretty strict and traditional three four last year for those five games. <clears throat> it was very um, it was a pretty soft zone type of type of structure. You know, I mean, it was like they were playing back, trying to keep everything in front of them. This is the complete opposite of that. You know, this is like press man coverage on the outside. It's ha- putting a bunch of guys in the in the box in the a gaps. Are they going to blitz? Are they going to back off? Kind of creating a lot of confusion um, and making the opposing offensive line, opposing quarterback, opposing running back, make decisions on the fly. So I think on that side of the ball, very different. The biggest difference differences on, on the offensive side, one, you know, who the quarterback is, and two, you know, uh, being under center. You know, and having tight ends. It's just more of an NFL style of attack versus the kind of standard issue uh, college spread. And and a fullback. Don't don't bury the lead that Arizona has a fullback now. You were you were really excited about that. I, I remember <laughs> when when I you you were chastising me for downplaying the presence of Clay Markoff, uh, transfer fullback from Washington State who, I mean, absolutely looks the part. His dad looks the part. If you saw him uh, on the sidelines during practice, I mean, like a walking, talking block of granite, um, they're going to use him. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be more than half a dozen snaps, but um, there are some formations that feature the fullback. And it just it gives gives you a little bit more variety and gives the other team a little bit more to prepare for so Michael, you've been you've been out there at practice. You've gotten to see some of the scrimmages. Um, I don't. Want, I think we all have a pretty good sense of where Arizona's strengths and weaknesses are in position groups. But I'd be curious to say to ask you, what position groups do you think are most improved for Arizona this year compared to last year? Well, I think the back seven, you know, or back eight, or however many they're playing at any given time on defense would be um, would be my answer. Like I said, the linebacking core is almost all new. You know, I think, you know, depending on health, that two holdovers, you know, Anthony Pandy and Isaiah Johnson are going to start. I think, I think Isaiah is going to start at strong side linebacker, you know, assuming that Kenny Hebert is, is not um, healthy enough to do so. He missed the latter portion of training camp. I'm not totally sure what his status is. But regardless of that, new middle linebacker and these other guys that they brought in, Trey Hayward, Jerry Roberts, Kenny Abair, Malik Reed, Rashi Hodge, they're all going to play. Like I think Rashi Hodge is going to have kind of his own package. You know, when when they bring in the nickel, he comes in. He's that nickel linebacker. Maybe it's a dime. I'm not totally sure like how they classify it because the Viper position is, you know, it's a hybrid 
safety linebacker, but you know, those guys are all going to have a role. Um, and I think they all look like legit players. And then in the secondary, um, the personnel at safety is mostly the same, but I think that's going to be a very well-coached group. Uh, I think Chuck Cecil's done an outstanding job uh, with that, with that group of guys. And, you know, some of the, you know, the, the bigger, faster, stronger, more explosive talk that you hear a lot when there's a new strength coach. And I, I wrote about this. I think it's evident with someone like Reddy Short as an example. He looks a lot faster than he did last season when, frankly, he looked too slow to play safety in the Pac-12. I think he's an example of someone who's really benefited from the strength program. So I would say the secondary and the linebacking core are the positions that are the most improved. So one position group that we know a lot about because we've seen them play a lot uh, that I'd love to hear your perspective on is the offensive line because last year they were seemed to be a complete disaster and most of them are returning, but that most of that same line the year before seemed to perform above expectations. Basically, they're a mystery wrapped in a riddle getting beat by a speed rush off the edge. Um, so I'm curious to hear how they've looked uh, so far in camp under the tutelage of Brent, uh, of Brent and Carroll. And do you think that they are going to be an asset or a liability or somewhere in between this year? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I've brought this up before um, in other uh, media platforms. We, we did um, a preview heading into training camp you know, like a position by position thing, ranked one through eight. And number seven, I think, was quarterback, and number eight was offensive line. So that's a little worrisome, you know, when you're when you're trying to put together an offense if those are your two weakest positions. And I really don't know what we're gonna get from this offensive line. You know, as you mentioned, it was mostly the same group of guys in 2020 as were there in 2019. It was the same coach. For the second year in a row it was the same scheme and they were really bad um and i don't know how much of that was you know josh mccauley maybe he wasn't healthy the entire season remember he he got hurt like on the first or second day of training camp in 2020 he would not have played he told us in the utah game had it been played so i think that could have been a factor um i would like to think that Brennan Carroll has been able to coach up the guys on the right side, um, Josh Donovan and Peyton Fierce, who like, you know, they're those guys, like when they get off the bus, they look like what you want them to look like. I mean, they are big, strong, well over 300 pounds, you know, NFL looking linemen, but they have not performed up to that level. Peyton Fierce in particular has struggled. Um, the left side, you know, assuming that Jordan Morgan is healthy, he got banged up a little bit toward the end of camp. I mean, tons of potential and athleticism there. I think Donovan Lai is one of the more solid guys. How it's all going to come together, I'm not totally sure. And it's hard to tell in training camp for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, you have to be really disciplined to actually watch the line play uh, and not follow the ball. Number two... Don Brown's defense blitzes like crazy. So, you know, it's like how how they look against that defense might be different than 
how they look against a quote-unquote normal defense. And then number three, there's only so many practices where they're in full pads and they're really smashing into the defensive front. So it's kind of hard to gauge uh, the run blocking as well. Um, I think that Jed Fish's scheme um, featuring a lot of play action might help them, you know, uh, might keep the defense on its heels a little bit. Um, call off the dogs as um, Adam's dog uh, walked right behind him there um, during the, during the show here. Um, so I think that might help a little bit, but also sometimes the quarterback is under center, you know, you're closer, you're closer to the, to the defensive front. Um, and so that presents kind of a different set of challenges. So, you know, short, the short uh, sum, summarization of this is I don't know what we're going to get from the offensive line, and it is a cause for concern. Well, really, you don't know what you're going to get from this entire team. <laughs> I think that's one of the more exciting things or interesting things because, I mean, usually you have an idea going into the first week. Okay, the guys who are returning, how they're going to play, the coaching staff, you know what to expect, but there's so much unknown with this Arizona team in part because of the scheme and in part because – the coaching is probably better. So like when it comes to the offensive line, is this better coaching and scheme, get better play out of them. From your vantage point, this team, the way they practice, the way they were doing everything in camp, like is there reason to be optimistic that there's going to be a tangible improvement just from the guys that were there before? I know we talked to Matt Moreno a couple weeks ago. He said like Tavian Cunningham is having a great camp and we've read about him and Stanley Berry having a great camp. Like these are guys who've been around for a few years. Like is there reason to expect that those guys will have better seasons this year for, I guess, myriad reasons? I, I think definitely the case on defense. Um, I, I really, truly believe that that unit will be vastly improved this year. Now, it's all relative. You know, when you're starting out as the worst defense in the league, if you can get up to, let's say, seventh, th- that's a pretty sizable jump for Arizona, especially. You know, I mean, they haven't ranked... I had this. I've, I've written this a couple of times, but in points allowed, um, in yards allowed, I think they've been tenth or worse in both of those categories every year since starting in 2015. You know, from from that point forward, so they've been pretty bottom of the barrel. The bar is low. Um, like I said, I think the safeties are going to be a lot better. I think Christian Roland Wallace is, could be a breakout candidate at cornerback. I think Jalen Harris is finally in a position where he can blossom uh, and, and really kind of live up to his potential at defensive end uh, on the offensive side. Yeah. Tavian Cunningham vastly improved um, at wide receiver. I mean, obviously we're going to get more production out of Bryce Wolma at tight end because they're actually going to utilize him. Uh, they're going to throw passes to him and those passes are going to be farther than like one yard down the field. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a, uh, that's uh, it's going to be, refreshing um in that regard i think we already saw a jump from stanley berryhill last year you know and i think he's just going to build off of that and continue and you know might get some all pac 12 recognition if if the quarterback play allows um for that to happen um you know how much better is will Plummer going to be that's a great question like he looked so lost at the start of spring I mean, he's grown so much since then. Like, he really, I, I was, like, about halfway through spring ball, I mean, you know, us, some of us reporters were like, is he even going to make it? 
You know, like it seemed like he might even like this, this offense isn't for me. I got to transfer somewhere else, but he was very resolute, determined. Um, he stuck with it and he got a lot better. Um, and I think it's really unfair to judge what kind of player he is off of, you know, the small sample we had last year when he wasn't supposed to play, got thrown to the wolves um, and really wasn't ready, frankly. Well, he's he's a Gilbert Tiger alum, just as I am. So clearly he's a very intelligent and resolute yes. individual in Will Plummer. Um, you kind of touched on, Michael, one of the position groups that I think is another mystery for us. And I'd really like to hear, you know, something of a prediction from you. You know, we keep hearing that the tight ends are going to be a thing this year. Um, I think we all know it's going to be more than last year. But, you know, that's that's like saying our win total this season will be more than last year. You know, more than zero is, is, is pretty easy to achieve. What do you think is a realistic expectation out of this position group in terms of production from the tight end room? How about 50 catches? How does that sound? Oh my. Among the, among the whole group. Michael, are you flirting with me right now? (laughs) I think, I think, I think that's, not it's not impossible. Well, that's what a little over four receptions a game, somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, look, they're going to be in basically one of two formations. You know, eleven or twelve personnel. Right, eleven is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Twelve is one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. You know, so there's they're going to be on the field a lot and they're not just there to block. They blocking is part of their job uh, for sure. Um, I I think uh, Jordan Pow Pow mentioned the other day something that's kind of um, underrated about using the tight end is gives you a little more protection on the edge sometimes. You know, I mean, you can chip a defensive end and maybe help out uh, an offensive tackle. So, yeah, I don't want to see, you know. I think if I threw that out as an over-under, most people would probably bet the under because of history, you know, and and maybe that's a lot to ask. But I just think the way they've been talking, the way they've utilized the tight ends in practice, I think they really are going to be committed to it. And it can be a valuable asset for a young quarterback to have a big target available over the middle of the field in that, you know, five to seven yard range when, you know, if you need to get rid of the ball in a hurry. Now we're talking to Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. And I, if I was going to go for the over under of 50 catches, I'd pick the under, not actually because I don't believe in the talent at tight end, but you kind of touch on a little bit the quarterback play. And I know we haven't talked about the decision to go with Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer, but there's just so many question marks there. How much has Will Plummer improved? Is he going to be game ready? Because we saw him in games, but like you said, last season was, you can't judge him based on what happened last year. But at, between him and Gunnar Cruz, neither one of them are sure things at quarterback. Just not sure things to be stars, just sure things to be able to move the ball down the field, to com- make the reads, complete the passes. And that's what I would worry that would hold the tight ends back. That, of course, and a deep receiving group and also a deep group of running backs. Your perspective on the quarterback, I know I've read quite a bit and everything, but your perspective on the fact that it's Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer, at least at the end of fall camp. Yeah, I feel like when this announcement happened, there was like panic in the streets of Tucson, you know, like 
people are just kind of freaking out. Um, and I think that's an overreaction. You know, this is the first game of what, you know, hopefully will be a, a long tenure here for Jed Fish. I mean, who knows what the future holds, but um, yeah, ideally he's here for a long time. He's starting from the bottom, a team that's lost 12 straight games, the school record. Uh, well, I don't know what the spread is for BYU. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 11, 11 and a half points. You know, the Cougars are favored. Um, so they're not expected to win. Um, you, like, if you're not ready to make that call at quarterback, then don't make the call. Right. Let it play out, you know? Take, take the, your first few games if you need to to gather more information, more data, and maybe make the call a month from now. You know, it's not it's not going to make the difference between Arizona winning the national championship and not winning the national championship because they're not winning the national championship no matter who the quarterback is. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you even brought in like a Sam Howell from North Carolina if they'd be in that conversation based on the, the supporting cast at this point. You know, I mean, they've done a really good job of turning over the roster, but I mean, everyone picks them to finish last, you know, in the Pac-12 South, probably the most realistic outcome in a rebuilding situation. Um, so, hey, take it slow. You know, it's okay. You don't have to determine who the quarterback is. And I don't think it's a sign of instability. I don't think it's a sign of weakness. Um, the fact that he ended up going in that direction. Well, Michael Love crushing dreams here saying the Wildcats are not going to win the national championship no matter who the quarterback is. But I guess what I would wonder though is like, it seemed like Jed Fish, he wanted to find one guy to be the quarterback. Like he said that he even said in his press conference the other day, how you know he doesn't expect it to be a two quarterback thing long-term. And my thought was that he, but I'd probably prefer to be Gunner Cruz, and I'm guessing Gunner Cruz is 1A to Will Plummer's 1B. That's why Gunner's supposed to take the first series, at least. But I, just the way it worked out, it didn't seem like it was a case of both corrections being so good in camp to where how could you sit one of them. It seemed like both of them were good moments, less good moments, you know, fairly equal. Just, just looking at the quarterback position, it is a concern, though, right? Like you said, it was, what, number seven, I think, out of eight. Like. Do you could you foresee a world or do you see a world where one of those two guys really just takes the reins and steps up and grabs that job once the lights come on in the games? I think it's definitely possible. Um, they're both pretty highly touted quarterbacks uh, coming out of high school. I really liked um, Will Plummer's film uh, a lot from his prep days. Um, I, he, you know, he's in a not on a in a great team, not a powerhouse. Sorry, Brett. <laughs> um, not a powerhouse club uh, at, at Gilbert and had to do a lot himself. Um, so, you know, I think that can sometimes create some bad habits, you know, where you're like trying to play hero ball. Right. And, and he's a little bit of a gunslinger at times, um, which I mean, I like I, I kind of like that versus like playing it safe all the time. Like, I think you can maybe coach that out of him a little bit. Um, he's a good athlete. He's not not huge. He's 6'1", but he's well-built. He's pretty mobile. Um, and he's got a certain level of moxie to his game. Gunnar Cruz, like, 
you know, he is straight out of Hollywood casting, you know, like six foot five, 227 pounds, got kind of the flowing mane going on. Um, not quite on the Trevor Lawrence level, but you know, almost he, there. It, he looks like he looks like Falco. Uh, yeah. Shane Falco, yes. right? <laughs> yes, he absolutely does. Um, and he's got a very strong arm. I would say like a stronger deep arm than Will Plummer. Um, but sometimes he's a little bit slow to process. And that results in him hanging onto the ball a little too long. And you can get away with that maybe in practice. I don't know if you can get away with that in games where the other team can actually tackle you. You know, so I'm interested to see how he does in live action, whether he's going to pull the trigger. You know, if they, like there's a handful of times in training camp where you're like, oh, you know, he's open, he's open, he's open. And he doesn't throw the ball. You know, and I don't know if it's because he doesn't see it. Or he's, he doesn't want to turn the ball over. Like, he did a great job of throwing passes that were not interceptable, you know, throughout camp, which is a good, which is a good trait to have. And if you have a good running game and you have a vastly improved defense and you don't turn the ball over, you've got a chance, right? So I think that's the appeal of Gunner, you know, at this stage of his development. It's interesting. Like, I feel like it's just not the way they want it to be, but it's the way it is for Arizona, and hopefully it works out. And, of course, Jordan McLeod was the third guy in the quarterback competition, and I guess the hope is, and I, I think it's what Jed Fish said and I've read too, is that it's just about getting better this season, right? It's not about how they play week one. Like, they don't need to have everything set in week one. Just keep improving. And one of the three quarterbacks, ideally, over the course of the season will improve at a point. And like you were saying, Will Plummer improved greatly from the start of camp to where he finished. So just that coaching, that scheme, did it seem like it's a complicated scheme for these guys to pick up maybe, or is it just so different than what they'd played in before that it just needed to take some time to kind of get more comfortable? Yeah, I think the second option, um, you know, the verbiage is different than what they're used to. I and mean, they've got these wristbands with somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 plays uh, on them. Um, so that aspect, they're huddling calling out the plays in the huddle, which, I mean, they just, guys don't do that anymore, right? (laughs) I mean, everything's just like get up to the line, look over to the sideline, get the signal from there. Um, So the communication is different. Being under center, I think, takes some getting used to. You know, like the drops are different and there's a certain like timing element to a lot of these plays that it requires a lot of repetition, you know, I remember Jimmy Doherty, the quarterback's coach, saying, like, like when you hit your foot hits the ground on a three-step drop, a five-step drop, a seven-step drop, like, it's supposed to be kind of boom, you know, option number one, option number two, or you run. And it takes time to get that down. You know, I don't know how many of those types of timing slash rhythm plays they had in the previous offense or if Rich Rod's offense even was predicated on anything of the sort. Um, so it's a lot different. I think that can be advantageous if you're able to execute it because it's so uncommon. You know, it's it forces other teams to prepare for something that they don't see on a regular basis. So, Michael, thank you for again for your time and perspective. We always value it. I kind of want to, you know, looking ahead to the season opener, um, I'm curious from an Arizona fan perspective, 
Uh, what does Arizona need to do in order to be competitive and have a chance to win in this game? Regardless of what BYU does, if Arizona is focusing on the things that they need to do, what, what are those things? I think the biggest thing to me, and this comes from having watched this, this matchup two times, right? And I think it was a 2016 opener and then 2017, right? Those were the two, I believe. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 2018. Sorry, yeah, 2016 yeah. and 2018. Yeah, both times, like eventually, BYU just overpowered Arizona. You know, like they wore them down. Their their brutish physicality in the trenches was the deciding factor in the game. Like they ran out the clock in that that 2018 game uh, at Arizona, and the Wildcats couldn't get them off the field. So to me, it's can Arizona Arizona go toe to toe with BYU for 12 rounds? You know, can they take a punch and, and counter punch? Because we know that you know BYU doesn't have Zach Wilson anymore, right? I mean, I don't think it's we're going to see quite as many pyrotechnics on offense uh, from the Cougars. I think it's going to be a little bit more smash mouth. I think the new quarterback is a dual threat. And they're going to try to beat up Arizona. And Jed Fish wants Arizona to become tough again, like back in the day. You know, the hardest out on everybody's schedule. That's his goal for the season. So here we go. Big, physical, older team. Week one. Let's see what you got. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I think that will help my final thing here is that this team seems to believe in the coaching staff. You know, and I, I feel like it was evidence even with the whole team getting vaccinated from COVID-19. Just there's buy-in to do whatever it takes to win, like a renewed focus, a renewed happiness to be Arizona Wildcats. I imagine you've gotten the same vibe from talking to players and everything, too, throughout camp. But just going into the season, it's got to be a different vibe for this team, right? It just has to be. Oh, yeah, without question. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what it was like uh, behind the scenes last year or like throughout the previous regime because we didn't really get a window um into what it was like uh, to the degree to the degree um that we've gotten under jed fish um there's i mean much more openness much more optimism uh, a lot of positivity it's it's easy of course to be optimistic and to be positive when you haven't played a game in a while but think about where they were I mean, it was a it was a deep dark place in mid December. You know, I mean, it was a that was as bad a loss um, to to you know cap a twelve game losing streak as you could possibly have, right? I mean, like it it could not be uh, it couldn't be much worse than it was, right? So yeah, I think they're in a much better frame of mind, um, and I you know I obviously would help if they can be competitive at the very least in this game and come out of it feeling good about themselves. I mean, if they get pasted 45 to 10, I mean, it's easy to go in the tank, but, but I don't think Jed fish is going to let that happen. You know, I mean, like we said earlier, like this is just the beginning here, you know, this is, this is the start. Um, And, you know, you're not going to win the national championship this year. You're not going to decide the outcome of year one in game one. So um, I think that's kind of, you know, I think he's going to take a big picture approach uh, to this whole thing. It's it's harder for the kids to do that 
you know, I mean, their their window of opportunity is a lot smaller, and they tend to be more emotional uh, about these things. Human nature, you know, 18 to 22 year olds, uh, it's totally understandable. But I think they're in a good place mentally and psychologically. All right. So yeah, the season opener September 4th against BYU. That game's in Las Vegas. Michael, I assume you're going to be at the game. You're going to be covering. I will. Game? Nice. That should be fun in that gorgeous looking stadium there in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. We appreciate the time. Is there anything? I know there's about a week until the season starts. What should people be looking forward to? What should Wildcat Radio listeners be looking forward to coming from you on the Arizona Daily Star? Yeah, we're going to start our like our regular uh, in-season routine next week. Um, so you can kind of get an idea of the rhythm of things. Jed Fish is going to have a press conference every Monday, sort of the traditional noon time slot. We're going to get, I think, coordinators and players on Tuesday. Uh, and then on Wednesday, we don't have access, but I'm going to bring back the cat stats feature that I've been doing, which is hashtag analytics. Uh, and then on Thursday, Jed's going to go a second time, which is, uh, which is a new wrinkle. Uh, and I like it a lot because, you know, you can kind of use Monday as a review and then Thursday as a preview. Um, and, you know, he, he will have a better grasp of how the team is looking in practice over the course of the week. Um, so wall to wall, seven days a week from here through December. Um, and, and yeah, it should be a lot, it should be a lot more fun, um, than whatever last season was, which was, and, I don't, you know, I don't even know what that was <laughs> last year. And optimistically through January when Arizona makes the Rose bowl and Jed Fish's first season. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we can end it on wouldn't that. that. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> we'll let you cover the Rose Bowl. One, there, one Rose Bowl before, one Rose Bowl before we hey, all die, right? Is hey, that with, with, with COVID forfeiture policies, it could happen. That's <laughs> <laughs> Michael Lev. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael J. Lev. And, of course, the Wildcaster app. You can get all that content to you on the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, we appreciate the time, and we look forward to catching up with you down the road. Thanks, fellas. All right, that's Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. And we talked about Arizona's game against BYU, but let's talk with someone who knows a little bit about BYU. That's Nick Lee of Vanquish the Foe, and he's coming up after this break. All right, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. And as promised, we are joined by Nick Lee from Vanquish the Foe, an SB Nation site that covers BYU, who, of course, is Arizona's first opponent September 4th. Nick, welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me. This is a really exciting time, and boy, anytime we can talk about football coming back especially college football after all the hoopla of the last year or so it's a refreshing re conversation i'm really excited to be here thanks for having me of course of course now we're previewing arizona byu and it seems like byu likes to play arizona recently when they're breaking in a new coach i know it happened a few years ago in tucson that game did not go so well for the wildcats it was but that game arizona went into with high expectations and they were playing at home the kevin selman eric khalil tate and it was just ugly football byu course won that game i think it was 28 23 arizona goes into this game with like zero expectations for me i don't know what the spread was most recently i thought it was like it was multiple points it was like double digit points arizona's the underdog byu is the favorite but as arizona people we look and say there's a lot of unknowns with arizona but there might be even more with byu with all the turnover just your early thoughts on this matchup byu arizona week one well, you, you hit it on the on the head with some of the uncertainty. I mean, any anytime you are playing an opponent week one, you know it's that team you're thinking about all preseason or as soon as really the final whistle blows in, in on the previous season bowl games or what have you. 
uh, you kind of turn the calendar and like, oh, Arizona's up next. Okay, here we go. Um, for BYU, the obvious elephant in the room is how they're going to pl- replace number two overall pick Zach Wilson, the highest NFL draft pick in BYU history. That's that's not going to be an easy task. And, and it's it, Jaron Hall has been named the starting quarterback, and he's got quite the shoes to fill. And there's no easy way to say, you know, he's he's got he's going to do this or that, and it'll it'll be, just be like Zach Wilson never left. That's that's probably not going to be the case. Um, but I don't want to disrespect Jaron Hall. He is the guy. He has made two career starts, a whopping two, <laughs> and only finished one of them. Actually, um, he ended up uh, he started against USF, kind of had a slug fest, more of like a slog fest. It was kind of a wet, sloppy game in South Florida against the Bulls, and ended up losing that game. And then he started against Utah State and got hurt. Baylor Romney came in and led the Cougars to victory there. Um, but this kid, super good athlete. Um, he also played baseball. So, you know, he plays baseball for BYU. So, you know, he's got an arm and I, it just has all the intangibles as well. You, you just hear him in interviews, very mature, you know, married with a kid that'll mature you real fast. <laughs> and I know some people might roll their eyes like, oh, isn't every BYU player married with kids? Um, <laughs> you know, he, he kind of fits that mold. Um, but as far as athletically, Jaron Hall really might not be that much of a drop-off from Zach Wilson. Okay. So, but that's just the quarterback. Um, and then other than that, there are tons of production, of course. They got BYU really has to replace the, one of the larger, more prolific draft classes in school history, and that's no easy feat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of the, the, the game highlights from Jaron Hall, and I'm not going to lie. I was actually kind of impressed, and it made me more nervous about it. Can you talk a little bit about what his skill set is uh, as a, as, from what you know of him coming in? Granted, it was a few years back. Yeah, it's been uh, since middle of the season 2019 since we've really seen him in action. And yeah, like you mentioned, he, he can make plays with his legs. He had a really impressive touchdown run against Utah State that actually, I think, got him injured. I think it was he's had concussion issues. That's really been his thing. Okay. So it's not like structural damage. It's usually been concussions. And we kind of see, I mean, we're all football fans. Once a guy has a couple, he, he seems to be prone to more, um, unfortunately. And so that's kind of BYU's, uh, the fans, you know, you know, holding our breath. This guy's got all the tools. He's got the arm, the baseball arm. He's got the the legs. You know, he's been in the system for a few years, and the guys clearly like him and are behind him. It's just a matter of can he stay on the field? Can he kind of the Taysom Hill thing a few years ago? Like he's so athletic and so good with his legs that it might be a detriment <laughs> um, because he he might not be able to stay on the field for a full 12, 13 games. Um, so really, that's that's the only thing holding him back. I think he's got all the tools to be a solid, solid quarterback. In in um, for for BYU and especially with the the schedule they're facing with a seven Power Five teams starting with Arizona, you know not many Power Five teams play or at least they do in their conference. We just but that's right referring to Arizona as a Power Five team. Like, that's a level of respect that they may not have earned after last season, but we appreciate I that. I think I can speak for Brett and Wildcat Nation when I say that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, and you know with Jaron, clearly BYU is at its best when it has an athletic quarterback under center. And I think of the three quarterbacks BYU was considering during fall camp, Jaron Hall is the most elite athlete. I, I really truly believe that there is not much of a drop-off at all athletically between Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall. We'll see about the other things that made Zach Wilson so good. But athleticism, it's still very much there. Okay, and that's the quarterback position. I know BYU lost a lot of talent just all across the board, and that's what makes like a week one so difficult to predict, right? We have the same issue with Arizona. It's almost like a completely new team along with the coaching staff. BYU has more of a system in place, but they're still replacing so much talent. We know BYU to be big physical defensively especially a few years ago when they helped Khalil Tate 
Well, maybe it was BYU, maybe it was Noel Mazzoni. We don't know who was holding Khalil Tate in check that game. <laughs> but regardless, we're used to seeing a certain type of BYU team with all the talent they've lost. Should we still expect that type of BYU team, especially defensively in, in the trenches? That's a great question because I think one of the more the positions that was decimated the most and maybe it hasn't gotten it doesn't have at least the obvious answers is defensive line. I think if there's any advantage Arizona has, I, I've been reading up a little bit. It looks like you might be looks like you might feel a little bit better about your offensive line more than more than other positions. Mm. At least a couple guys. Um, they have experience. <laughs> they have experience. You know that can't that always is, that's not always a good thing, I guess, but. <laughs> Um, what that's not, that's actually something BYU's defensive line does not have. So there's a lot of guys who are touted, uh, lots of talent, lots of big beefy guys who, you know, we, we love getting those, you know, Kyrie's Tonga was, he had his own climates. He had his own orbits. <laughs> that dude was a monster and he is going to be hard to replace now trying to make a roster with the bears. But, um, yeah, I think defensive line probably is the position I'm worried about the most for BYU, just with a lack of experience. I know we have the guys there. Um, but we lost Zach Daw on top of that Bracken Bakery, who is like a human bowling ball that that met with a tree stump. I mean, he's just he was just a, a massive uh, load to, to try to block. So I, I think that they have the talent, the skills, and the physical tools. It's just a matter of experience and knowing what's there. Um, so and and really the pass rush. BYU has struggled a little bit with getting a consistent pass rush because they love that drop eight, <laughs> rush three, or drop seven, rush four thing and drive some BYU fans mad, but for the most part, it's worked. But when it doesn't work, that defensive line doesn't get pass rush. It can it, The quarterback, you know, sit back there and read a book and do laundry and then find an open receiver. Um, so really, I think that that's probably the, the biggest concern is replacing that production along the defensive line. And on the other side in the trenches, obviously they lost Brady Christensen and Tristan Hodge. Uh, Christensen is probably going to make the roster in Carolina, a very talented tackle. Um, in fact, Pro Football Focus, I believe, rated him the, one of the best college tackles they've ever rated. So that's a very big loss for BYU. And so, yeah, in the trenches, they're, they're always going to be big. They're always going to be strong. Right now, it's just a matter of experience. I, I expect those guys to perform because BYU has recruited very well in the trenches. But uh, we'll see if uh, the inexperience comes back to bite them early in the season. And, you know, week one, you might see some of that. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that Arizona's offensive line can handle a three-man rush for at least two <laughs> seconds. Uh, um, but I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to hear uh, your perspective. I know in the past uh, BYU has been known to kind of manufacture a little bit of pressure, even when they've had a lot of talent in the trenches on the defensive side. Is are, are, is the expectation with the, all the new faces and the you know the questionable talent? Is there going to be a lot of blitzes? Is there going to be a lot of stunts from what you're can tell like looking at camp and, and seeing how it's uh, how they're uh, thinking about things going into this game yeah i mean the, the obviously they're, they're gonna see how it goes a little bit with just the vanilla running a base defense and see um i imagine against arizona who last time i checked isn't you know an air raid offense they'll probably go with rushing four um because i know a couple years ago when, when byu played usc keaton slovis when they beat him in provo I don't think they rushed more than three or four all game long and that ended up working, but I kind of just tailored to the, to what offense they're going to face. But yeah, I could see them especially trying to with, with how young and inexperienced this defense is to manufacture a little pressure. You got on the outside, you know, Peyton Wilgar and Ben Bywater on the outside, they call, they call Ben Bywater, the Frodo linebacker, um, just kind of roaming around and, 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 you know, causing <laughs> havoc and, and doing, doing some of the dirty work uh, that for linebackers. And I love that um, name. 
Like yeah. Arizona has the Viper linebacker, I think is kind of that guy. <laughs> At BYU, it's Frodo because he's just kind of yes, wandering around. Yeah, and... <laughs> I know great. they have a couple other ones that are silly, like you know they have the Flash and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, that that is always the case. Is if if you can't generate enough pressure with your three four front. Um, you're going to have to bring some more heat and artificially try to create some pressure. And obviously we all know that if your quarterback's good enough, they could take advantage of that. So it's going to be a matter of can BYU create enough pressure with just their base defensive line with all that inexperience, or are they going to be forced to use the Ben Bywaters, maybe the Max Tooleys and Peyton Wilgar off the edge and linebacker and try to, you know, create some of the pressure and, and BYU, you know, has been, has been gashed by that occasionally. And, you know, uh, I think Coastal Carolina did a really good job keeping BYU on their heels most of that game. Um, obviously, they only had two days to prep for that game, but that's a, that's neither here nor there. That's a conversation for a different day. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's another big key to this game is um, whether or not Arizona's offensive line can hold back the base pass rush. And if BYU can get home with their base pass rush, the 3-4 defensive linemen, I think that it's it, it that, that is when BYU is going to control the game. Yeah, we're talking to Nick Lee of VanquishTheFoe.com, an SB Nation site that covers BYU, of course, Arizona's first opponent uh, this season. You have a piece on your website. It was breaking down the schedule for BYU. And you have, obviously, the first game, Arizona. I have the Phil Steele, the Phil Steele ranking, 105. Seems generous of Phil. You know? <laughs> but, like, you're talking about how, you know, what Arizona's offense is going to do and if they're quarterback, this and that. And truth be told, like, I know Brian and I we can tell you, Arizona, we're not even sure what to expect from Arizona. This week they announced their quarterback's for this season you have Gunnar Cruz who's more of a pocket passer big arm has a little bit of experience but doesn't have a career start under his belt he was at Washington State he's a transfer you have Will Plummer who started a game last season and has yet to throw for a touchdown pass in college and I think we're all kind of wondering what Arizona's going to look like too you know Jed Fish is supposed to run like a pro style offense but that can mean so many things now based on what's in the pros has there been any talk from BYU of just like the unknown with Arizona and what to expect from a team? You know, now it's Jed Fish running the offense, Don Brown, the former Michigan defensive coordinator, running the defense. Just Arizona, they're not supposed to be that good this season, but at the same time, no one really knows that much about them. Yeah, and that, that could be to their advantage. And I think, um, you know, the two-quarterback system, we all, we usually say if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. <laughs> um, but that, that that always could work out. You know, that, that could maybe last a series, and all of a sudden, ooh, this guy looks good, and they'll stick with you. I don't know exactly what the game plan there is for Arizona. But I think what if, if, if you were talking to head coach of BYU Kalani Satake or even defensive coordinator Lysa Tuiaki, they would say, we're going to worry about us. We're going to worry about making sure we, we understand our keys we're going to understand, you know, our, our jobs, our, our reads and making sure we don't get out of what we're trying to do. We're, we're not going to play outside of our plan. And I think that's really important, especially week one when there's so much unknown, especially last year, especially with the Pac-12. Really felt bad for you guys with just just <laughs> decimated by COVID. I, I, I've lived up and down the West Coast. And so I've lived most of my, my life in Pac-12 country. Usually I'll turn on Pac-12 after dark when I'm done with BYU stuff. And um, it really broke my heart last year. So it, even that was just playing five games. There's so much unknowns about last year to this year. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, those coaches are dealing with that, Jed Fish and, and those guys. Um, but, yeah, I think BYU is just going to do what they do, worry about them, and a- execute the game plan. They're they're already they, – they ended fall camp yesterday, and now they're really ramping up game prep, you know, game week. Um, in, in the next couple of days here, and it's go time. And they're going to be planning for, you know, they're, they're not going to try to obsess over, 
uh, one quarterback or the other, his skill set over another. They're just going to worry about their skill set as a defense and their keys and let the chips fall where they may. All right, so in that piece where you're previewing the games, you had Arizona, well, you had BYU winning 24-20, which is closer than what Vegas thinks it's going to be. It's closer than a lot of people think it's going to be. I'm curious from your from your vantage point why that closes that. Like obviously we don't know a ton about Arizona, but is that just like maybe a lack of confidence in how good BYU is going to be this season based on all the change and everything? Like why twenty four twenty? Well, I've I've watched a lot of BYU football, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even in games, you know, they, they they've played Arizona in two thousand sixteen in the University of Phoenix Stadium. Kalani Satake's first game as head coach, and also in twenty I believe eighteen, Jeff Grimes's first game as offensive coordinator, and both those games. I, th- I believe BYU is favored, or if it wasn't favored, it's going to be close. Um, and I, both those games, I went into expecting to win, but I was a little nervous because typically when BYU has a new whatever, they come out a little sluggish. And they, and also BYU, I mean, no offense, BYU does tend to play down to its competition sometimes. Hey, and we'll take that, it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's just that's just how it goes, you know. And um, it, I, I just usually week one BYU except for last year against Navy, but you could say that's probably because uh, Coach Ken up there in Navy didn't practice properly. Um, they they ran right through Navy, but besides that, they typically start a little slow under Kalani Satake. Maybe not lose, but you know they don't they won't be as explosive as, as fans want, like I explained in my article. And even though Aaron Roderick was on the staff last year, he is a new offensive coordinator. He's the head man on offense for the first time. And you're breaking in a starting quarterback. And there's it's just with no preseason games like you get in the NFL, you don't really know what, what your the full potential of your offense until the live bullets start flying um, in, in week one. So I just think usually BYU starts a little slow on offense, especially just kind of a feeling out period. It's a little bit like the two boxers kind of dancing around each other's corners. Um, and BYU typically plays one of those games week one. So I'm just expecting kind of a slugfest, slower, you know, a slow what's the word, you know, paper cut, death by a thousand paper cuts over <laughs> over perhaps an explosive win. You mean you mean a quality football game to watch on the television? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, so you, we've, we've talked a little bit about how much unknowns there are, and you're talking about how BYU, especially when they have a new fill-in-the-blank, they come out slow, and we don't know a lot about what BYU has coming back or, or U of A's roster, to be fair. One thing we do know, though, and related to sl- things that won't be slow, I'm fairly confident Don Brown's defense will not be slow coming out to attack BYU's offense. I know you already talked a little bit about the new coach. Um, you know, Don Brown, a.k.a. Dr. Blitz, he's going to try to manufacture some pressure in some form. I'm curious to know what your perspective is, knowing a little bit about, you know, we have one of the things we have some sense of is how Don Brown's going to run his defense. It's going to be aggressive. It's going to gamble. How do you think BYU's offense is going to be able to handle that given they're replacing so much uh, talent and a new offensive coordinator. Well, one thing that does give me hope uh, for BYU's sake, um, even though Aaron Roderick, it does have the label of new offensive coordinator. There is no, no one has confirmed this yet. And I, I actually have a, had a brother on the team for a couple of years um, up leading up to last year. And just some whispers that Aaron Roderick actually had his hand fully on the trigger for a lot of play calling last year. Um, so we're all wondering how much of a drop off there's going to be as far as production or um, strategy. Um, I, I'm about 95% sure he called the entire Boca Raton Bowl. 
And because um, Jeff Grimes was, has foot out the door basically to Baylor at that point. And that was maybe BYU's most complete game on offense of the entire season. So as long as they I think it's going to come down to how Jaron Hall responds. I think the strategy will be there. I think the game planning will be there to combat that that aggressive defense. It's going to come down to is Jaron Hall, you know, does he have the it? Does he have, you know, a guy can be athletic as heck. He can he can have all the arm talent. He can have all the physical traits. But what does he do when there's a couple of bloodthirsty, you know, linebackers coming off the edge or an end breaks free? What does he do then? Does he check down? Does he stay with his reads? Does he make the third or fourth option throw? Or does he panic? And and especially with his legs, does he rely too much on his legs and get himself in trouble? Um, I'm a Seahawks fan, and Russell Wilson routinely does that. It drives me nuts <laughs> that he he tries to do a little bit too much with his legs when he faces a blitz, and it ends up you know either intentional grounding for third and twenty, or he takes a 15-yard sack. You know that kind of stuff can happen even to a younger quarterback like Jaron Hall. So I think it's really I think the coaching is there. It'll come down to Jaron Hall's res- uh, response to such a pressure. And that's, I think, kind of the interesting thing. Like One of the final questions we were going to ask you is, we don't need to ask for a prediction for the score because we already have that from you. But if Arizona is to win this game, like what would they have to do to beat this BYU team? Because I know like Jaron Hall, he hasn't played since 2019. So if there's maybe any rust there, if there's any, you know, facing the live bullets again, if you will, against a very aggressive defense, like is that going to be how Arizona wins? Like from your perspective, like we're not going to see how does Arizona beat BYU because you know, you don't know Arizona as well. But how does BYU lose this game? Like, what would Arizona have to do conceivably to beat the BYU Cougars on September 4th? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, like I mentioned, the lack of pass rush. If if Arizona is able to hold their water against a three, four-man rush, um, you can pick BYU apart. Um, typically, BYU has a – and this year they feel pretty good about their secondary, but typically BYU does not have a top-end secondary. And so if if you leave them exposed too long, you know, any quarterback – and no matter, you know, if they're playing college football, they're at least somewhat okay at quarterback, right? And, That's the and any <laughs> any quarterback that has, you know, four, five, six seconds to sit back there and wait for an open receiver can usually do well there. So, um, yeah, if BYU cannot generate pass rush, that's going to be a problem. And, yeah, like I mentioned, if, if Jaron Hall just can't handle the, the Dr. Blitz, if he can't handle the, the pressure that he dials up, which he's, he's inexperienced, that is a thing that happens, even if, you know, you can – Again, you can dial that up all you want in practice, but as soon as another color jersey, another color helmet is coming after you, you know, with bad intentions, so to speak, that that's a different story. So, yeah, if BYU can't generate a pass rush, and if uh, if the pressure gets to Jaron Hall and he starts starts trying to do too much, then the turnovers happen, and that is how a team that is a double digit underdog wins a game: is they generate pressure and create turnovers, and that that has killed BYU in the past as a double digit favorite. That there's you know, Utah every dang game against Utah, <laughs> they find a way to turn the ball over two, three, four, five times, and that's just the end of it. Even if BYU is clearly the best team on the field, which lately has not been the case against Utah, but the turnovers have just killed this team. So, I mean, really, that can be relevant in any game, but certainly in a in a game early like this with an inexperienced quarterback, turnovers and a lack of pass rush will do them in. Great. Well, I guess we'll hope for that. You know, we're, we're on opposite <laughs> sides of this one. Sure. I know, but mostly, I mean, I know BYU really wants to win this game. Arizona fans probably just want to be competitive. Um, so, you know, if that leads to a win, even better. But, you know, I know everyone's excited for this game for one reason or another, right? Like that's, it's the opener. It's a new season, you know. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Uh, Nick Lee from vanquishthefoe.com, SB Nation's BYU site. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Lee 51 We appreciate the time and 
yeah, hopefully, good luck this season. Maybe not, and, and good luck on September fourth too. You know, I think we can be nice <laughs> well, like that, right? Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm actually going to be there in person in Vegas. Cannot wait for that game. It's gonna. I haven't been to a game in a couple of years, obviously, so it's going to be awesome to be down there on the or near the field. Great. Adam, you should just say good luck in rooting for a fun game. <laughs> as long as everyone has fun, then everyone's a winner. I just hope both teams have fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the real prizes, the friends we made along the way. Nick that's Lee, right. thank you for joining Wildcat Radio 2.0. We appreciate the time. Thank you. So that's Nick Lee of VanquishTheFoe.com. One more segment left. And you know what? Let's finish up our death chart preview. That's coming up after the break. We're back. One more segment here, this jam-packed episode of Wildcat Radio 2.0 as we get set for the Wildcats season opener. And, of course, more football as promised. The rest of our depth chart preview, we did the offense and special teams over the last couple weeks, given that we have one show left here. we got to get through the defense. And usually defense is the side of the ball to avoid when it comes to Arizona. The defense hasn't been good in a long, long time. But I will say there's plenty of reason for – cautious optimism of slight improvement even like michael lev our guest was saying like if they go from like the worst to like seventh or something it's a sizable jump with the experience with the transfers that they got in the defense doesn't look too bad at least the starters but we're going to begin with the front seven especially in the trench of the defensive line this is a group that got like there is potential there you know mo diallo like we've talked we've heard about him like he's been great apparently he's gonna be a starter He's been with the team for like a week and a half. But, like, there is some legitimate talent and potential on the defensive line for this defense that Don Brown wants to run. It makes you feel like you don't have to feel good about it, but you don't have to feel really bad about it either. Well, and you know where I'm probably going to go. Get your drinks out, kids. There's actually <laughs> some honest-to-God depth there, I think. I mean, yeah. Mo Diallo coming in and being a starter, this is one where I feel like, you know, normally you'd say somebody comes in and a couple weeks later is a starter. That should be cause for concern. Right, you're just not going to just walks in as your best defensive lineman. Yeah. But I I think with what we have in place of returnees, um, you know, Aaron Blackwell's back, J.B. Brown is back, Trayvon Mason. I've been on the Trayvon Mason fan club, you know, mailing list for a while. Jalen Harris is is going to probably play a position that's more natural to him at a, at a hand-in-the-ground defensive end spot. Keon Bars has been a really, really effective young player so far. Miles Tapusella came back. Mm-hmm. You have Laville Tatum coming. And that's before you get to Modiallo. That's where I'm saying, like, I there's a there's a real chance the position group, if not a strength, it's certainly not going to be a liability. And for a team like Arizona, you know, if you think back the last couple of years, one of the biggest challenges of the undersized Arizona teams has been teams wear them down, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, especially a team like, you know, BYU, we're talking about in this, in this megapod, if they got a lot megapod. of guys, they're just going <laughs> to, sorry, <laughs> nice. that too. yeah, you know, that's, if you, if you, if you don't have size and talent and depth along the defensive line, and really you need all three to be able to hold up against the run game, um, you, you know, it's going to be hard to win a lot of games. And I feel, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily an honest to God star there, but I feel relatively decent about the position group as a whole. Well, and depth is your you know your word of the day or word of every day. But narrow, it's really important the defensive line, in part because like those guys are going to get worn down, and we saw it over and over when they were thin at that position, thin both in stature for some of these guys and just in the numbers of players they could throw out there. When you have so many players who they don't have to be stars, they don't they just have to be able to fill spots. 
you know, give guys breathers. You don't want them out there playing so many snaps because, yeah, in the fourth quarter, they're going to be tired. Whereas if you can have a fresh team, if you have a fresh Mo Diallo or a fresh Jalen Harris, you know, Keon Barr's out there rushing the pass or trying to plug the run game, like when they have their legs with them like that, they're going to be different players. Whereas the last couple of years, they just get worn down because they had to be out there so much and do so much. So absolutely, like you'll see, you can expect to see different level of play just because of the fact that they're not going to be worn out the entire game. Now, in this Don Brown defense, too, not the 3-4 they were running last year. It's going to be like a more of a 4-3 type of defense, but all the blitzing. like It should free up some of them, too. Like, their job is going to be to eat up blockers. That's it, mostly. And let the linebackers, let the Vipers, if you're blitzing, let them get there. But if teams are focused on the linebackers, too, that might free up someone for like uh, J.B. Brown, who was a pretty talented player. If he gets back in shape after he just had a kid, he was missing some time. But if he gets back into shape, he's a pretty good player. Aaron Black was a pretty good player, and Black was lower on the depth chart right now with all his experience. And, you know, so this isn't a this isn't a group that you look and say there's so much NFL talent there. No, it's not that type of defensive line, but it is a type of defensive line where say, OK, they've got some talent and they've got numbers. And that's going to be so important with that position. So, yeah, I'm I'm pleased with what they have there. I think there's going to be – they may not be putting up great numbers because it's not going to be asked of them, but I think there's enough guys there who they can get the job done. Yeah, I was I was actually just going to say, Adam, I don't think it's a team that's maybe, – maybe Harris, maybe Brown or Mo Diallo might put up some interesting stats, but a really good, deep defensive line, no individual guys probably going to show up that much on the stat sheet in terms of their stat sheet. But, boy, they're going to be the best friend of the guys right behind them, the linebackers that are mm-hmm. blitzing and the corners in press coverage. You know, it, 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 it sets up everything Don Brown is going to want to do in terms of being an aggressive defense. Yeah, and we can talk about those linebackers next. This is a group that <laughs> I don't know how many times we said linebackers, plural, as being a big thing for this season compared to what it was last year. And, of course, because last season, Colin Schooler, and Tony Fields transfer before, like right before the season starts because they're like, well, the Pac-12's not even going to play. We want to go play football. That hurt them. You know, also, that hurt them was injuries. But when you lose two of your best linebackers, it left Anthony Pandy as the only returning guy who had some experience, and he's coming back again, so he's good. And then you bring in Jerry Roberts, Kenny Abey, Malik Reed, Treshawn Howard, you know, Isaiah Johnson, who's shown some potential, and Rourke Freeberg, of course, who played really well given the situation last year. This is another group where there's so many new faces and so many guys are going to be in roles that they didn't play before. But again, there's better numbers at the linebacker position than there was last year. I will say, I think Anthony Pandy has star potential. He's a really good player, but now with more talent around him where defenses or offenses can't focus on him, it could open up things for him to raise in coverage, things that he's good at. Whereas last year when it was like Anthony Pandy and, and who, and just a bunch of walk-ons. And again, Rourke Freeberg was one of them. He's now on scholarship, but there's more talent around Anthony Pandy. It's a more talented group overall. And again, with the numbers, that should help them. Well, and six months ago, we were probably saying, hey, DJ Fryer, Mojo Weirds, the true freshmen, are, they might have a chance to play. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, you look at this and again say, I'd, they're only playing if there's a disaster in front of them. And that's again, you know, th- clearly... <laughs> You know, Jed Fish and company, we said, have all along made the right moves in identifying the obvious things to do. And maybe the most obvious thing was, hey, you need to go get some linebackers. And they got some of those guys. Uh, Jerry it's Roberts. You get them, too, when there's like no linebackers on the roster. It's like, hey, I could go to Arizona. But but that's all part of it. Right. That's all part of building and rebuilding this team. Yeah. And, you know, 
Treshawn Howard is maybe the most interesting one. He came and then was off the team and then is back again, but has been incredibly productive. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how much he's used. I'm curious to see in the first week because um, he's maybe a little bit behind in terms of the scheme and the system, but he's a guy Tom Brown talked up a lot. Malik Reed was a big, pretty big name prospect. Uh, went to Wisconsin, out of Arizona, out of Chandler. Um, but I think I think the real questions here are I think Anthony Pandy, we have a pretty good known quantity of what he is. Between A. Bear Roberts and Isaiah Johnson, I think two at least two of those three guys are gonna be pretty good. And I I don't think you mentioned uh, uh the New Mexico State kind of low key guy, uh-huh, yeah. Rashi Hodge. Yeah. Um you know, he's supposedly the best guy in coverage, like a nickel type linebacker, which again just gives some flexibility for Don Brown and what he wants to do and to disguise some, some schemes and coverages, especially with, you know, I don't know if we're counting the, the Vipers in the, in the linebacker group, if we're going to save them for the safeties. I think they're going to be the defensive backs. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's where Rourke Freeberg is probably playing um, more than the linebacker spot, but I think that's more of a reflection of also that there are honest to God linebackers in the linebacker room. Well, linebackers uh, with experience and that's yeah. that you can't, when you have to, when they're at the second level there, they're diagnosing things. They have to read the play, diagnose, know, you know, run, pass, which way to go, take the angles. And Jerry Roberts has experience. Bear has experience. You know, Trayshawn Howard, Haji has tons of experience. And, of course, Anthony Pandy does, too. And this is where, like, even last year, like, Isaiah Johnson played some. Rourke Freeberg played quite a bit where this is a group that's not new. Last season it was Anthony Pandy and a bunch of guys who've never played really college football, it seemed like. That's not the case now. You know, so when it comes to some of these newer guys at transfers that maybe haven't gotten as much practice in, they know how to play football at the college level. And they've succeeded. They've had, you know, they've played well in college for their other schools. So I think that's solid reason to be like, okay, the linebackers, a lot of turnover, but it's such positive turnover. You know, you're bringing experience, you're bringing in size, you're bringing in speed, and of course, depth. And another guy that we haven't mentioned that's, you know, the definition of a wild card, at least for this season, Jabbar Triplett, mm-hmm. who probably was going to be a starting linebacker last year before he tore his Achilles and what and had it repaired in January, I think. Um, you know, so he's maybe nine months removed from that. Is is that enough time to recover and and challenge for playing time? But well, you need him know. even like maybe like the rule yeah. would be maybe you don't need him, let him really recover. But but that shows the depth, right? <laughs> like that shows yeah. exactly what we're talking about. He he probably could have played with a torn Achilles last year and started <laughs> with our linebacking core. Uh, um, so uh, you know, the, yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to go where you're saying and say that P- Pandy has star potential. I think he could be very solid. Um, well, when I say star I, potential, I mean I guess Arizona linebacker star potential. Like he's a guy who can get after the quarterback. He can make plays in coverage. He's a very good, like overall, well-rounded linebacker who we've seen be good before. That's what I'm saying. I think he's a guy you can win with and can be a good leader within the, within the defense. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how he does in the Don Brown scheme, as well as all these linebackers. Um, it, and I, I'm, I'm especially to, uh, to transition Adam, I'm especially curious to see that kind of, as we go to the safeties and maybe we go to the Viper next, cause it kind of is the natural transition, the, the position that's somewhere between it's halfway to safety, halfway to linebacker. <laughs> where Rourke Freeberg is probably the backup to, from what I understand, to Christian Young, who's literally in the position that he was, his body type was made for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, If there's somebody that's going to have a breakout season, it's got to be him on this defense, right? 
it, it makes <laughs> you know it's funny we're gonna keep talking about this defense and i feel like every position group we're gonna be like hey there's they're pretty good there and it's like that cannot really be the case this is arizona right we saw them last <laughs> season but yes to the extent like with this defense with a new look defense a different scheme with the blitzing and like if you're going to say the defensive line, we're feeling pretty good about it. They're going to be eat up blockers, right? That frees up the linebackers, who they have some talent there to get after the, you know, stuff the run and get after the quarterback. All that benefits the secondary now, too. Like the Viper position, Christian Young might finally be in a place where it's like, this is a perfect fit for his skill set within a defense that has other guys who will demand attention. You know, so someone like him could be in the perfect spot for what he can do. Of course, we have to see it on the field. But yes, this is a case too. If you look at the safeties and the Viper position, like there's, there's some talent there, and a lot of the excitement for the talent is just thinking that the scheme and the coaching is better. You know, because Christian Young has played before; he's not new. But is he going to be like an improved version? He's going to be Christian Young 2.0 based on the factor, you know, circumstances around him. Same thing with Reddy Short, right? Michael Love mentioned how he looks fast now. <laughs> like that wasn't the case before. <laughs> but just with another year with the proper coaching and the right scheme. How many of these guys, because there's not as many new guys in the secondary, not as many new guys at safety. Viper's a new position, but they're not new to Arizona, these guys. But is this a role in a scheme that'll fit them so well where they're going to look that much better? And in Christian Young's case, it certainly seems like it could happen, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Reddy Short. He's one of the guys I'm most interested to see uh, in Don Brown's scheme and in hearing what you know, Michael Love is talking about because he was a guy that people forget. I think in some ratings he was a low four star, a high three star guy out of California. So a three star UCLA guy, guy that they they got from. I like, think he was a yeah. commit to UCLA, yeah. Um, and then he's he kind of was invisible and kind of forced into playing more by lack of other options. Um, but if he can take a step forward, uh, Jackson Turner is a guy that's still young, but he's really, really intriguing. He Isaiah Mays. Healthy. Yeah. Isaiah Mays is a guy who has a lot of talent and maybe can like flex between a, a safety and a nickel type spot. Gunnar Maldonado, another Arizona, one of the Arizona transfer ins that I'm very excited to see. I'm curious to see how they use him on the field, where they use him in a in more of the Viper role or a more safety role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 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 talent enough there that's intriguing. I'm not sure I'm ready to feel comfortable with it but I'm very curious to see how it translates on the field in the new system. Yeah, I feel like there's better depth at safety and just what they can do there with certain players, especially with the Viper position. That allows you to, you know, is it more like, like Rourke Freeberg is more of a linebacker, Christian is more of a defensive back, but they can each play that position, albeit probably slightly differently in different packages and everything. But, yeah, there is some talent there and how the scheme fits. There's more depth there than, say, cornerback, I guess, that you can feel comfortable with. That's the last position group here. I like the top two quite a bit. Christian Roland Wallace is a star. He's going to be an NFL player. He's going to play on Sundays. I mean, if he times his jump just a half second differently against USC, Arizona wins that game to start. Like Christian Roland Wallace is a good player. He's only going to be better in this system. And Isaiah Rutherford from Notre Dame doesn't have a ton of experience, but everyone's been talking about how good he's been in camp. You know, he's got the size. He's got the no, you know, he's this is a guy who sh- he looks the part. And I imagine he, he was a yeah. four star out of high school. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's reason he was at Notre Dame. So like this is a guy. With those top two guys, you could feel pretty good that. Yeah, they got two good corners, and of course, if the defensive line, if the front seven can get after the quarterback, you know, better, then the cornerbacks will look a lot better too, right? They'll get more pressure on the quarterback. It makes the corner's job easier. But after Roland Wallace and Rutherford, it gets a little bit more dicey. You know, we've seen guys like Mackenzie Barnes, Malik Hausman. They've played a little bit, haven't been great. Jacqueline Morgan, I've read some things about him. How he's been kind of he's been stepping up, you know, freshman. But I feel like this group, the corners. Looks a lot better if the linebackers and even to the line play well. 
Like that's their best hope because after the top two guys, there is a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, not to not to scare you, Adam, but I look at this cornerback room and I think of last year before Colin Schooler and Tony Fields transferred out of the of the linebacker room, where yeah. I'm like, it's very top oh, heavy I like, with not much behind them. Yeah, I like the guys at the top, and then a lot of question marks. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say there's not guys like Jaquelin Jaquelin Morgan. I think is a is a freshman young guy that probably shouldn't be playing, but might, you know, might get pushed into playing. Uh, Traden Stukes, the the walk on from Phoenix, uh, track now level on scholarship. Athlete. Yeah, yeah. Now on he got a scholarship real fast, and he's for people who don't know he was like a a track athlete, so he has the raw athleticism. Um, and I'm pretty sure he was a guy who, when he was in high school, i.e. during the recruiting season, he was you know, several inches and several dozen pounds lighter in the, in the negative way. Um, and a lot bigger. So he kind of grew into his body where I'm really intrigued to see him get some more playing time. Um, as he's kind of as, cause the raw athleticism is there mm-hmm. is, is, is what I'm really saying. Um, and then you got Malik Hausman who opted out, I think last year, who's probably gonna get some playing time. Mackenzie Barnes has shown maybe some inconsistent flashes. He's got some good size, but we just don't know what's there. Um, you know, it's, I, I feel good. I, I feel good about the top two beyond that. It's question marks, but I think um, those top two corners bluntly, we need to be uh, playing to their potential. Mm-hmm. Cause if for, for Don Brown's defense to work the way he wants to do it, they're going to be left on an Island and press coverage a lot. And if they, if they can turn in average play, that's, you know, or even slightly above average play, that's the difference between winning and losing a lot of games for Arizona this season. Yeah, and to that end, that's why it's so important for the defensive the front seven to get to the quarterback because in a blitzing defense, it works when you get to the quarterback, but if you don't get there, I don't care who your cornerbacks are, they're not going to look good. You know, if you have to rec- if you have to cover one-on-one, like single coverage down the field, some of the, there's some really good receivers in the Pac-12. Like if you have to do that for four, five, six seconds, you're going to get burned. And it's not going to be their fault. So this is where, like, this is one of the beautiful things about football is that everything works together, right? Everything is connected. And for cornerbacks, a guy might get burned down the field, but when you look at, if you looked at the film or you looked at the 22, you know, from above, you'd be like, oh well, he actually did his job. The quarterback had six seconds to find him. Like, no cornerback's going to be covered for that long. But at the same time, with the defensive line, they can get pressure. Then that's going to force quarterbacks into throwing early. It's going to force them to throw in off target, which leads to chances for interceptions, batted away passes, just overall looking good as corners. So I, I, the top two are good. Chris Roland Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford are two good corners. Just, yeah, behind them, a lot of question marks. And with as many teams that they run multiple receivers on the field at a time, you're going to get into the trade-in Stukes, the Malik Haslam, Mackenzie Barnes. Like They're going to have to play. And, of course, obviously, hopefully, Chris Roland Wallace and Isaiah Rutherford stay healthy. Because if there's an injury to either one of those, then that depth that we're not too excited about or not too confident gets really tested. But in this defense, in this Don Brown defense, the plus side is, yeah, with all the blitzes, this could work. <laughs> you know, Maybe you can get when, away with less talent, but if it doesn't, ooh, it's going to be bad. Well, and one thing I think we've heard from practice reports, I'm not even sure we mentioned it, which would be blasphemous of us, from the safety group is Jaden Young. Um, mm-hmm. They're talking about, you know, he may start at one of the safety spots as one of those young walk-on guys that's awarded a scholarship early is the apple of Chuck Cecil's eye. Yeah. Uh, they're saying that they're also moving him up to kind of a nickel type spot because um, he's athlete, he's kind of got he's kind of a tweener in size and he's still relatively young. 
And that's another way you can kind of, again, flex with him, Isaiah Mays, with Rashi Hodge. Uh, there's there's guys that there's there's versatility between position groups more than maybe in past years that you could almost manufacture some depth through scheme and the, the position groups you put on the field. Um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. I think I think uh, I think I saw Don Brown say he generally imagines he has like 17 or 18 starters hypothetically of guys who are basically gonna be you know in the rotations regularly and in packages, right? And I think we can kind of have a sense of that, um, you know. And there's 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 ways you can manufacture some of that depth when you go into like the nickel uh, packages and whatnot. But boy. If there's one position group outside of the defensive line that the defense is going to rest, its success is going to rest on, it's it's those two corners, those top two corners. Because if they get, it's going to be a lot of gambles. And if they get burned for touchdowns regularly, it's it's going to be a problem. Yeah. You know, I'm hopefully I'd rather they uh, get a lot of uh, NCAA pass interferences than giving up the big touchdowns. And you know, it's not even spot of the foul in college. It's <laughs> what is it, 15 yards or something 15 like yards, that? 15 yards, yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how how well coached they are and things like that if they know they're getting burned in, a, in an aggressive play, um, but it's just another thing to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be an inflection point for the defense for sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, I think that wraps up our depth chart preview. Reach back to our last couple episodes to hear our offense and special teams takes. You know, we talked to Nick Lee about BYU. That's the first game, and this is gonna be our last pod before the season opener. I don't really have much of a preview for that game. I don't. We don't know what to expect from either of these teams, but I will say there is optimism heading into this game. Like there's excitement for Arizona football, which was not. I don't think you would have expected that eight months ago. <laughs> you know, like that would not have been the case. You'd be like, oh, I can't wait for this first game. And one thing to keep in mind, I think Arizona fans are doing a good job of this. Is it's not just about wins, it's about being competitive, it's about slowly improving and showing that you know things are getting better. And that first game is a golden opportunity to show that, you know, maybe even steal one because BYU is replacing so much because they're breaking in a relatively inexperienced quarterback who hasn't played a game in a couple of years. Like this is a, there's a reason BYU is a double digit favorite, but just so many unknowns. I wouldn't feel good about betting on, like I wouldn't feel good about giving up the points if I was BYU. Yeah, this is, this is one of those games. If I wasn't a fan, I wouldn't touch a, bet on this one with the spread in any way because there's so many unknowns um yeah. you could tell me you could tell me arizona gets blown out you can tell me it's close you could tell me arizona pulls up upset and i'd believe any of those the only thing i don't think is arizona's gonna necessarily blow out byu which now no, that, that i seems said unlikely that, yeah i mean now that i said that i'm usually wrong so hopefully i spoke that into existence yeah let's hope um yeah and 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 don't underestimate even just showing a good competitive game against a team like BYU to announce the new program as it relates to recruiting. Um, Cause it's still, it's still crucial recruiting se- season. And if, you know, you go out and, you know, drop a big stinker and get smoked by 45 points in week one, a lot of the goodwill that has been earned over the off season can, can quickly go uh, up and smoke and evaporate a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting that. I'm a little nervous about it because I'm an Arizona fan and I remember I think I remember the last time Arizona won a game. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm old enough to have a fuzzy enough memory of the last time Arizona won a football game. How about that, Adam? I remember that game, too. Of course, this is going to be our last show before the opener. We're both going to be up out of town. It's Brett Barry Barricosa's wedding. 
next week. So that's so we're not going to be recording the week of the season opener, which is why we're happy to be joined by Nick Lee um, from Vanquish the Foe and from, by Michael Leff from Arizona Daily Star to kind of preview the Wildcats and also preview their week one opponent because, I mean, we're it's football season, Brett. The next time we do a podcast, the next time we're on Wildcat Radio 2.0, football season will have begun. Arizona will have a game under their belt. The Jetfish era will be, like, it'll be ongoing now. It'll be a thing. That's cool. It's It's been a long, winding road to get here, Adam. Let's play some football. Right, right. <laughs> um, as always, we want to make sure you guys remember to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you do that. Feel free to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. We will read your review on the air, good, bad, or otherwise. We will read it here. We prefer good, but we will accept bad because we are self-aware, if nothing else. So <laughs> make sure you follow us on Twitter, also at Wildcut Radio AZ. And for Brett, I'm Adam. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.